Does this game have rules? Good afternoon and welcome to Season 2, Episode 48 of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast, where we talk about writing spies and writing about spies. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Duncan. I hope everyone had a nice Thanksgiving holiday. I ended up with two Thanksgivings. On Thanksgiving Day, it was myself and my kids only because their exes had the grandkids that day. And then on Saturday, we had the main Thanksgiving with all the fam. Lots of fun catching up with what we've all been doing, which is still pretty much staying at home and not being terribly socially active and making sure we all got vaccinated. It was fun watching the grandkids uh, play together, and most of the time they play together nicely. That isn't always the case. Between National Novel Writing Month and prepping for Thanksgiving, I haven't had much time to watch any espionage-themed movies or shows. I'm still working on reading John le Carre's Absolute Friends. I'm hoping to, you know, look through Netflix and Prime and several others and see what's out there maybe to see. I am looking forward to the movie that's going to be in theaters called King's Man, which is sort of the prequel to the Kingsman movies that were kind of the rage several years ago. And of course, the premise of it is that there's this special secret service type organization called the Kingsman out of a tailor shop, which sounds a bit familiar if you're familiar with the man from Uncle. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm hoping that it's as good as the other two. I really enjoyed the other two. There were aspects of it I didn't, you know, I I thought were over the top. A lot, actually, was over the top. But I thought the concept of this secretive British intelligence organization working for the king at the time when it was founded was... a a fascinating premise. So we'll see. So December the 1st today means it's the one-year book birthday for the final book in the Self-Inflicted Wounds trilogy titled And Justice for All. And this book wraps up the many, many threads I started to weave in books one and two. But this trilogy is a perfect example of why you need an editor, no matter how you're published, whether you're traditionally published or you're independently published. When I typed the end at the end of book three, I thought everything was wrapped up pretty nicely. Then I handed it off to my editor and she came back with all the salient questions like, what happened to? Why didn't you account for? Why didn't you address this? And needless to say, she 
saved that trilogy from embarrassment, and indeed, editors can save your writing lives. All right, before I start reading from And Justice for All, let me bring you up to date to where we are in the overall story. Book two, Dangerous Truths, which I finished up two weeks ago for the last podcast. We didn't have a podcast last week because it was Thanksgiving Day. That ended with my being unsuccessful in stopping the kidnapping of a former president of Yugoslavia, Ivan Stambolic. There was a shootout. It's the Balkans, after all. Mai was shot, but her ballistic vest has saved her from serious injury. She and Alexei head for their car to get out of sight before the police arrive and to get back to the house they've rented in Belgrade, where they have their ace in the hole, Dr. Galina Popova, who is the wife of Alexei's nephew, Kolya. Now, both Mai and Alexei saw Kolya at the scene of Stambolich's kidnapping, confirming their worst fears that he's been orchestrating the killing of the friends of Milosevic. And Justice for All, Chapter 1, Not That Kind of Man Belgrade, Yugoslavia, 2000 Alexei wanted to run to the car, but the pain in his side and the fact he half-dragged his partner, Mai Fisher, limited him to a quick walking pace. Mai continued to breathe hard, as if she'd run a distance instead of taking two bullets in her ballistic vest. When he reached the car, he got her inside among the sounds of approaching sirens. Hand pressed against his unhealed wound, he hustled to the driver's side and slid behind the wheel. The other car, Mai said. We'll get it later. He put the car in gear and headed away from the sirens, his speed normal so he wouldn't attract attention. On the drive, Mai's breathing eased, and he gave her his handkerchief. Clean your face before we see Galina, he said. She nodded, flipping down the visor and using the mirror to get as much drying blood and brain matter from her face as she could. Two bodies, Alexei said. Both yours? Yes, but they got Stambolich anyway. Kolya was there, she said. I know, I saw him. And Cassandra Brown. She shot me. Bitch! We knew that. We'll find her. And how will we do that, since neither of us followed I the vehicle? He attributed her snark to the fact she was in pain. My priorities are my priorities, Alexei said. Well and good, but we had a chance to... He held up a hand. We are not debating this. Her lips pinched back a rejoinder, and she resumed cleaning her face. In his periphery, he saw his handkerchief smeared with red, and he forced back the emotions rising, the ones that screamed in his head. It could have been her blood. 
Dr. Galina Popova's face tightened with alarm when Alexei and Mai entered. They were both white-lipped in pain. A doctor knew this. In her career, no one had to tell her when patients were in pain. The compressed mouths, the glazed eyes were all she needed to see. Even when the patient said, Pain, doctor? No, no pain. What has happened? Galena asked, rising from the kitchen table where she had been drinking tea. Nothing, Mai said. She's shut, Alexei countered. Mai glared at him but didn't contradict. My bag upstairs, if you can make it, Galina said to Alexei. Maia, lie on the table. No, I'm fine. On the table, now. Galina cleared her cup and saucer away and pointed. I'll sit, Mai said. She watched Alexei disappear and murmured, If I lie down, it'll be too hard to get back up. Galena conceded with a nod, and once Mai was seated, Galena looked her over. There is blood. Not mine, Mai said. Galena peeled Mai's jacket from her torso and unbuttoned the blouse. After that, she encountered a black vest made of an unusual fabric. What is this? Bulletproof vest, Mai replied. Two mashed pieces of metal were embedded among shredded fibers in the fabric. And these are? Galina asked. Bullets, the vest stopped. Bojmoy, how do I get this off you? Velcro tabs on the sides and shoulders. Galina stripped away Mai's blouse, noting the two holes in it. She had to pull the Velcro hard to unfasten the vest eliciting a grunt from Mai. Beneath the vest was a camisole, wet with sweat. With the vest gone, Mai uttered a soft moan, and she almost doubled over. Well, try to sit up straight for me to examine you, Galena said. Mouth pinched close again, Mai obeyed, and Galena worked the camisole over Mai's head. Two bruises, large as a man's fist, seemed to darken before Galena's eyes, one at the tip of the sternum, one beneath the right breast. It hurts when you breathe, Galena said, not a question. Fuck, yes, Mai replied. Alexei appeared with Galena's medical bag, his eyes going to the bruises, his face flushing with rage. Galena took out her stethoscope and listened to Mai's heart and lungs. The heartbeat was racing, but the rhythm was normal. Her breathing was quick and shallow. Slow down, Galena said. Do not hyperventilate. She probed around the sternum and ribs. Mai's hands clenched into fists. Alexei took one hand in his, pried it open, and let her grip his fingers. Galena shook her head. I cannot tell if anything is broken. We need to have you x-rayed. No, Mai said. That can't happen. Please, I am aware of the healthcare system here, and an x-ray would be no problem. I can't go to hospital. Why on earth not? A hospital visit means paperwork, Alexei said. Paperwork means a record, and we cannot have a record of our presence here. Galena looked from one to the other. 
She understood Kolya did things in the army he couldn't or wouldn't talk about. It seems such nonsense ran in the family. I think perhaps you need to tell me what is going on, Galina said. We can't, Alexei said. No, you will. You have brought me here to help my husband, who is mixed up in some shady business you will not explain. I see you, she said to Alexei, with a knife wound that should have killed you. And you? She looked at my. You talk about, oh, I've been shot. Kolya said, you worked in refugee relief. What refugees are there in Belgrade? Why would you get shot helping refugees anyway? You tell me what is going on, or I am going back to Moscow on the next flight, and damn all of you to hell. Alexei and Mai looked at each other. Alexei shrugged and nodded, and Mai began to speak. By the time she finished talking about political murders and her assignment to find out who was behind them before a critical election of what had happened this morning about Russian mercenaries hired to do the killings, Russian mercenaries commanded by Kolya, Galina had to sit down. Nyet, she said. Nyet, Kolya is not that kind of man. Mai's tone was relentless when she said, I saw Kolya this morning. He was there, driving the kidnapped victim away in a van. Nyet! I saw him as well, Alexei said. The army is one thing, Galena said. He would not do something like this unless he had orders. What we hope, Mai said, is that someone told him conducting these operations were his orders. But we can't know that until we talk to him. We dealt him a serious blow this morning. We killed at least three of his men, and now he knows we know he's involved, Alexei said another shrug. Perhaps that will bring him out in the open. Galina shook her head again. How could he do this? In a few months he was to retire and we... Why this? Why would he do this? Answers we have to get from him, Alexei said. And to get those answers he has to be willing to extricate himself from this business. Galina looked at Mai, seeking solace from a woman. You said Sasha may be involved in this too. If that is true, Kolya will not leave Sasha behind, not after, not after Chechnya. Mai's pallor, the crimp of her mouth, said she remained in pain, but she showed Galina nothing, nothing at all. Galina stood, smoothing her skirt. I will, I will give you something for the pain, she murmured. She looked at Alexei, and you are next. All right, I'll pause reading there. I know three book birthdays in three months is a lot, but that's because last year I tried something called flash publishing a book a month for specific number of months, which meant, of course, that all the prep for all three books had to be done way ahead of time, like months ahead of time, although with me it was close to a year ahead of time. 
so I would have plenty of time for planning the launch of each book. Wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be, even though I'm kind of anal about planning and I had that all worked out and everything, you know, lined up, practically had a checklist for it. It was still very difficult. Lots of pressure put on myself. And I don't handle pressure as well as I used to. You get out of the habit of it, I guess, and you don't handle it very well. So again, it was something I wanted to try, but I'm not putting myself through it again. So from now on, about the most you can hope for is maybe two books a year for me, I hope. For its birthday, and Justice for All is now 99 cents for the month of December, but the first two books, Welcome to Belgrade and Dangerous Truths, are still 99 cents too. So this month, December, you can buy the ebook trilogy for yourself or gift it to friends and family for under three bucks. And by now, I should have the URL for the giveaway of a hardcover edition of And Justice for All. And the URL should be in this episode's description. If it's not, it will be next week. So you can enter to win, again, another really great-looking hardcover edition of And Justice for All. There's something about the color red when you have a lot of red in your book covers just translates to this hardcover paper that they use for the binding just perfectly. It's, it's really gorgeous. Oh, and I'm working on notifying the winner of last month's giveaway, and I'll announce that at another episode, probably next week. I should know definitively by then who it is. Also, for any fellow James Madison University or Madison College alums, I'll have my books at a special event on December 11th. That's a week from this coming Saturday. The event is called Winter Word Fest, and it features a baker's dozen of local authors from up and down the Shenandoah Valley. We'll be set up in the atrium of the theater at 41 Courthouse Square in Harrisonburg, Virginia, where JMU is located. We'll be there from 1 p.m. that afternoon to 7.30 p.m. that evening. And again, a great opportunity to do some holiday shopping and support local small businesses. In case you hadn't thought of it, most authors, whether traditionally published or independently published, are actually small businesses. You know, we're not all Stephen King or Margaret Atwood with publicity departments at our disposal. We have to do it all ourselves. Anyway, I hope if you're in the Shenandoah Valley that weekend that you stop by and say hi. And, of course, buy some books. All right, let's get back to reading from And Justice for All. The kidnapping and the shootout have more or less convinced Kolya Antonov, Alexei's nephew, that the mission Cassandra Brown recruited him for isn't legit after all. And he decides it's time to negotiate with his Tyotya, 
his aunt, and that happens to be my Fisher. And Justice for All, Chapter 2, The Warrior Princess's Bodyguard My Fisher always arrived first at an arranged meet to get the lay of the land, spot any ambushes or traps, and select her avenues of escape. However, her choice for this meet was symbolic. She stood on the spot at the dockyard where the police found her car with a body inside, the spot where she'd had to face the possibility of widowhood. The car was long gone, taken away by the police, and most likely cleaned up and sold to some mafia boss. Bloodstains on the docks, somewhat faded by sun and rain, were brown smudges, but enough remained to show her how fucking lucky she was. Galena had attributed Alexei's survival to his strong Ukrainian constitution, but my suspected it was more his indomitable will. Alexei Bukharin did nothing unless he wanted to, including dying, it seemed. When Kolya Antonov had spent a few weeks in America as Mai's bodyguard in case a Serbian warlord sought revenge for her bearing witness to his war crimes in Srebrenica, Kolya had come to a state of near fanaticism over the television program Xena, Warrior Princess. Well, she is you, Totya, he'd explained, a compliment Mai had taken with some skepticism. He'd started calling her Warrior Princess until a threat about his manhood stopped him. Mai had watched an episode and found herself wishing her hair would stay in place with such precision as did Lucy Lawless's in action sequences. Alexei had declared he would find the leather outfit stimulating despite its combat impracticality. Mai had used the Xena reference in her newspaper ad, knowing Kolya would recognize who'd placed it, if he'd read it. And, apparently, he had. Three days after snatching Stambolich, he'd called the number in the ad and asked to meet her alone. Mai had agreed and had no qualms over lying to him. Alexei opted not to come, partly because the deals-with-no-shite Dr. Popova had told him to rest, and partly because he remained too angry with his nephew. Galena, however, was nearby, able to listen because Mai wore a wire, but she was out of sight until needed. Kolya arrived on foot, walking with his hands in his jacket pockets, his head down. Sasha had titillated the waitress in Novi Sad with expensive clothes, but Kolya was practical, in jeans, a golf shirt, a leather jacket. He sported a few days' growth of beard, and dark smudges lay beneath his eyes. That he'd be armed with a handgun, likely a Makarov, and a combat knife was a given. Mai was a harsh shadow against the gray concrete in her usual black, boots, leggings, and knee-length coat. 
Kolya didn't look up until he was perhaps three meters away. He stopped and they stared at each other, aunt and nephew by marriage, contemporaries and, occasionally, friends. You shot at me, Mai said in greeting. I missed on purpose, you'll know that. The two I killed at Kosutnyak. They gave me no choice. I understand. So you know. They were the only ones you killed. Where is Stambolich? Kolya shook his head and asked, Is uh, Dadya all right? He will be. Mai pointed to the fading bloodstains. That's the result of what one of your assassins did to him. He looked at the blood, his face remaining impassive. When he looked up at her, his eyes had taken on that unusual Bukharan trait denoting anger. The blue irises had paled. Vanya was not a bad man. He thought he was following orders, Kolya murmured. Orders to kill my husband? Your uncle? Vanya was looking for a way out. That is all any of us were doing here in Belgrade. But someone lied to him and said I ordered the hit. He did not know Alexei was my uncle, and I did not order the hit. Kolya glanced around and asked, Is he with you? Or too pissed at me still? Royally pissed at you. I did not give the order. Convince me. Kolya sighed and scrubbed his hands over his unkempt brush cut. Sasha tried to impress someone. Did Sasha know it was Alexei? This time he rubbed his eyes, leaving them bloodshot. Yes. Why would he do this? Chechnya changed him. What happened to him? You have the context to understand, Tiotia. Nothing that has ever happened to me has made me want to kill members of my family. Kolya held up his hands as if warding off her, or the truth, or both. Whatever you say, Tiotia, but I am not here to debate. No, but that air had to be cleared, Kolya. What Alexei feels isn't so much anger as betrayal. I know, Tiotia, how much of a disappointment I am, but I had my reasons. He will want to know them. Kolya squinted as he looked out over the Danube, a river she'd heard Alexei call the Dunai. Its waters were a brownish gray under an overcast sky. An oily smell came off the water, mixed with rotting fish, sewage, and a cocktail of who knew what and how many chemicals. Alexei had fallen into that water and almost died. Her anger crept back in, making her fingers twitch to curl into fists and beat Kolya senseless. Kolya looked at her again, his impassive mask slipping enough she saw moisture in his eyes. At the time, I thought they were pretty good reasons. And now? I'm having trouble recalling exactly what they were. Was this operation your idea? No, I executed someone else's plan. Whose? Tiotia, I cannot tell you that. I am ready to get Sasha and me out of this mess, but this was an official mission. I will not betray that. 
why do you want out of an official mission? He almost told her, his mouth open but clamped shut on his words. He shook his head. My step closer. I never believed you were stupid, she said, too rigid and too much a good soldier at times, but you should have seen through the ruse. This was not an official mission. I know who you're working for, Cassandra Brown, who works for the CIA. Not for almost a decade. You were a pushover, which tells me she either offered you a lot of money or you're doing it because she's fucking you. He flushed, muscles in his jaw working. My pressed on. To Cassandra Brown, you and your men, Sasha, all of you, are a means to an end. But she never leaves proof of her jobs around when she's done. She will sacrifice every last one of you. She'll let the police, or Alexei and me, kill you off one by one. And whoever is left when she's done, she'll kill him herself. It won't be the first time. The stoic silence stretched between them. Where are the rest of your men? No answer. Let's see. Alexei killed Vanya. I killed two at Kotsunyak. Alexei killed the one called Tolya. That leaves you, Sasha, and at least two others. Where are they? His eyes flicked away from her. She killed them, didn't she? Mai said. You cannot know that. I can because I know her. But I also know you. If any of your men were still alive, you'd be begging me to get them out of here. That's the first thing you would have bargained with when you called me. The jaw muscles ticked again, and he looked away. Koya, Cassandra has always abandoned her assets when they are no longer useful to her. She ran a network of anti-Saddam dissidents in Iraq before the Gulf War. When the war ended, and it was obvious the coalition forces wouldn't move on Baghdad, she cut and ran, leaving them all behind to face Saddam. She told them she would get them to safety, but she betrayed them. Saddam's secret police knew exactly where to find every one of them. That's what got her fired from the CIA. Since then, she's freelance for everyone from Mossad to Gaddafi. Hell, she's probably remained on the CIA payroll as a contractor or consultant. Right now, she's likely in the hire of someone close to Slobodan Milosevic, working to keep him in power. Your men have died for nothing. Kolya remained aloof, and Mai let her anger emerge. So what does she have on you? Again, no answer. Well then, that tells me she's fucking you, the way she's managed all her assets. Kolya's face screwed into an expression of disgust. How can you suggest that? I said it's how she manages her assets, and that's what you are, her asset. I am not fucking her, Kolya said, his cheekbones red with embarrassment or anger. My only expectation is she will pay me a lot of money to do her work here. Money? Is that what this is about? Your uncle nearly dies, your men die, for money? No, no, killing the idea was not my mission, and I would never do that for money. 
Well, did you forget I have a lot more money at my disposal than Cassandra Brown could ever covet? If you needed money, why didn't you come to me? Once more, Kolya gazed at the river. In a few months, he murmured, I would have retired to a pension far less than my pay, except lately my pay has come from the United Nations peacekeepers, not the Russian army. The Russian army pays me zero. He turned to her again, his eyes narrowed. Tell me, Tyotia, how do you calculate retirement pay from zero? Here I am, Nikolai Antonov, career sergeant in the world's poorest army, married to a brilliant doctor who has a circle of well-read and well-educated friends. Do you know, Tyotia, I've never met any of them. When I am with her, there are no parties, no dinner engagements, no conferences, where Dr. Popova would be forced to bring, out of marital obligation, the husband so obviously beneath her. I can take that for a few weeks at a time when I am on leave, but the rest of my life? He shook his head. I have my pride. So does she. Your wife is not ashamed of you. Well, she might be when she learns of this. It is not shame, Totya, but practicality. What do I have in common with academics? She spares me and herself. And what does that have to do with Cassandra Brown's blood money? He winced, but answered, The amount of money she indicated I could walk away with. I thought I would front a small security business. That is something I know, and I am good with technology. I could provide diversified services to Russia's new bourgeoisie. A businessman is presentable. An old, obsolete soldier is not. Unbelievable, Mai said. You know, I have a security business. I would have loaned you seed money for a franchise, but you did the stupid thing. Your money is not answered to everything. You think it is, but it is not. How much of your money has Diadia taken from you? For Piotr or Natalia and now Sergei, yes, but never a kopeck for himself. What makes you think I would come crawling like a beggar? Obviously, being stubborn is a and trait. Who the fuck is there for me to give it to except family? And, excuse me, becoming a mercenary is better than begging. And what are you, Tiotia? You get paid to spy on people. Why is that so different? And Jesus wept. I am so fucking glad I don't have a dick to think with. What's different is I have the force of law behind me. Why couldn't you ask me for a loan? His mouth opened to reply, but he closed it again, perhaps remembering it was useless to argue with her. He smiled a little bit. There is the other aspect of Cassandra's offer, one you understand well. And so she did. She was in Belgrade because a desk job hadn't suited her. The rush, she said. The adrenaline high. But I don't kill people for money. They stood in silence for a moment, Kolya unable to look at her. Now what? Mai asked. Kolya gave that damnable Russian shrug, the same as Alexei, and it vexed her as much. I guess I go back to what I was doing, Kolya said, and 
you go back to trying to stop me. Trying? I have stopped you. You're here and you aren't leaving until you tell me who's running Cassandra. The dam shrug again. I do not know who is running her. That is the truth. And you will have to shoot me to keep me from leaving. I can arrange that, she replied. You said you wanted out. You wanted Sasha out. I'm your only hope. Not with your conditions. You don't even know my conditions. Tiotia, you always have conditions. Maya and Galena had no established signal for Galena's intervention, but Mai figured the threat of shooting would motivate the other woman. From behind her, Mai heard Galena's footsteps approach. Kolya saw his wife and glared at Mai. We agreed to meet alone, he said. Well, standing here, we were alone. But Galena could hear us. I'm wired. Kolya stepped toward her, stopped, shook his fist. You let my wife listen? That crossed a line. Kolya walked past Mai, butting her not too gently with his shoulder. Mai turned to make sure he didn't bolt, but she didn't follow. Reunions should be private. Okay. That's enough for today. We'll pick up more next week. In the meantime, we now have COVID variant Omicron to deal with. So don't forget your mask. Watch that social distancing. And if you haven't yet, please, please get vaccinated and boosted so we don't get washed away in the predicted COVID fifth wave. As Someone from one of my favorite old TV shows used to say, be careful out there. And while you're being careful, don't forget to keep an eye out for spies. The proceeding has been a production of Unexpected Paths Media, copyright 2021 all rights reserved. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast.